Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. So today's topic is, is data analytics helping increase the impact of K-12 education? So K-12 education is almost the foundation of what our kids learn, how do they, what do they do when they get to college and thereafter, then they join the workforce or be part of the society in whatever way they can contribute. Now, the way K-12 education is, what if we could reimagine it where we could provide a customized learning experience, which is based on each student's skills, abilities, and preferences, and that helps maximize the outcomes for the student And while all of that's being done, which is the outcome we want, but also done in a way where you are optimally utilizing the funds available and also deliver with a reliable and lean operations so that this education keeps humming, it creates the best value possible. And if that is the dream, to what degree can we leverage data analytics? Because rest of the world is to maximize whatever the outcomes they're trying to produce. So to discuss this, we have uh, Dr. Joe Phillips, Chief Information Officer at Broward Public School. Hey, Joe, how are you? Hey, great. How are you doing? Very good, sir. Great to have you. And we have Robert Dixon, Chief Information Officer at Wichita's Public Schools, USD 259. Hey, Rob, how's life? Hey, it's a busy time, but I'm glad to be here. Great to have you as well. So, Joe, let's start with you. Give us your version of what the top priorities are for the K-12 schools. And are these priorities being changed or fundamentally shifted because we had the recent disruptions uh, that we and the whole world, for that matter, faced due to the pandemic? Sure, absolutely. So um, I would say that top priorities for K-12 is always to prepare our students um, for life, career, college, um, after uh, they move on and graduate from our K-12 institutions. So um, it's always a little bit tough for uh, K-12 to know what that future is going to look like and how to reverse engineer it for our students' education so that they're prepped and ready for that. Uh, What I would say in terms of overall top priorities is uh, exactly what you said about Um, really looking at how we can achieve educational opportunities for each one of our students and not just think of them or measure them in groups or aggregated data, but how do we make sure that each and every one of our students is able to build their successful future? So I would also say that the the pandemic, the disruption that we have faced in K-12 has had huge impact on our ability to do that and what that even means anymore. Um, we're, we're seeing things like learning loss uh, that our students came back with after going into different alternative methods of instruction, whether that was through Zoom or some hybrid method, and learning or reteaching 
our students how to learn in this environment um, while always being prepared to go back into an alternative method of instruction. So everything from the type of data that we collect, where our starting point is for each of our kids. We've had a lot of movement around the country with families moving all over as well in the US, I'm sure across the world as well. And the disruption has really kind of changed what we in K-12 can expect our students to have and be ready to learn uh, at any given level. So, you know, some students might be up to two years behind. Some might only be a couple months behind. Some might have gotten a great educational opportunity during the pandemic and they're, they're fine. Um, the challenge we have in the U.S. when we're breaking our students down into groups according to their age is uh, it's, it's really difficult now, especially with the pandemic and different amounts of learning loss, to be able to customize that experience for each of our students. You know, I'd love to add to that if I could. Um, one of the interesting things, I've, I've been in education now for over 23 years, and I feel like even in those, in that over 20 years, we've been torn between two contexts, um, an old century old factory model of classrooms where we ranked kids and we, they were in rows and, and you saw instruction very much in assembly line way. And then, uh, you saw this innovation happening of where the internet is being introduced into classrooms and you're starting to see these changes happening in society due to social media and other pieces, I think those have always been there. And the data that we see even after the pandemic are exaggerations of a society that hasn't adjusted between those two contexts of how society has changed and how, uh, you know, reflective our society has been from the pandemic going through remote learning and, and other pieces, just as Joe suggest, uh, suggested previously. See, one is the plumbing of how education is imparted, how teachers teach and how students absorb uh, what's being taught. Another is the very semantics of what K-12 supposed to mean for the times ahead. Is the pandemic forcing us to rethink what we teach or is it just we are looking at the, the mechanics of the education business, if you will? Rob? Well, I would say take a look at the struggle with post-secondary right now. I think there's a real questioning of the four-year degree and its return on investment. And do I as a lifelong learner need to understand all of those courses to succeed in an area that I'm passionate in. And I, I would also say there's a difference in how we grow up now uh, where my parents worked a job just to make a living and our kids growing up feel like they have a purpose to try to do something for the greater good of things. And those are two totally different models of how you want to learn and become a lifelong learner. And our education system is still broken up into schedules of courses that are based upon staff, right? And the data of staff delivery and not based upon the interests of a student. 
And so when, when you keep that in mind, that flows downward into K-12 in which I agree with you. I think we have to question the courses that are available. I'll give you a great example. We started an esports program and we teach a class called Gaming Concepts. And that class is going to triple the number of students this next year because the interest is high. And we teach just strategy in that class. Interesting. So connecting it back to the very topic, right? So, so we are expecting things to change, whether the mechanics or the semantics of what education is being imparted and the outcome, the way you guys, but you both of you defined. Coming to the data uh, as, a, as a, an asset or as the very foundation for a business of education, in this case, K-12. So do you think K-12 education is at par or ahead or lagging behind the rest of the, the, the companies and commercial sector or even other parts of the government where they are trying to use data as the way to enlighten themselves, to manage things, to get the most value out of each investment or even to make investments? They're looking at data to figure out what is the best place to make an investment. So coming to you, Joe, what have you said? What, what if you were kind of an analyst, right? And if you were to give a state of K twelve education as it's come uh, in in terms of use of data as the very currency of how that business runs, what would you say? Sure. So I would say that um, K twelve is, I would say, coming out of infancy and into a toddler type um, a level. So maybe just moving from crawling to walking when it comes to the, the power and the impact that data analytics and intelligence can have on the work that we do. So um, previously, I think K-12 was really good at measuring certain things and having uh, certain analytics in place, standardized testing. Um, I think everybody knows about K-12 and standardized testing. Um, we also have something in K-12 called the College and Career Readiness Index, or CCR, which is a measure of uh, various different things to include um, grades, um, different tests like the ACT or the SAT that students can take uh, and that type of thing. What we're learning in K-12 is that that type of data doesn't necessarily contribute to understanding how to help a student build their future. Um, to Rob's point earlier, when he talked about really looking at the interest that our students have, how we can customize and, and really create a bespoke customized education for our students. That's where I think industry for sure, um, as well as even government might be a little bit ahead of where K-12 is. Industry for sure, uh, they've been working with analytics for that competitive edge. I think in K-12, especially public K-12, there's not a lot of competition. There is now with charter schools and private schools kind of coming in. But I would just say in the last five or six years is when we've really started to even see public K-12 education as a potential competitive experience. And so looking at our attendance rates, uh, students that are coming into our district or choosing different educational options such as private or charter, um, how not just how they're doing, not just how much seat time they're having, but what what classes they might be flocking to, what we're doing with our career and technical education, um, how we're marketing, um, which I've been in some very interesting meetings uh, since I've gotten here to Broward County Schools about marketing to our students, to our own students. So grabbing data 
uh, seeing what our students are interested in and just how to market our opportunities that we already have to our students in ways and in places that they're receptive to that information. So uh, overall, I would say there's a lot of work coming in, but one of the things that I think K-12 also um, can mature at is learning what to measure. Um, you know, there, there's a drip model of being data rich and information poor, and we're still kind of figuring out, and Rob might agree or disagree, but I, I know in my experience, we're still figuring out what to measure and how those measures are turned into impact. Because um, we, we can measure lots of different things, but if we're not doing it correctly, if we're not actually understanding what it is we're looking for, we can end up making incorrect or improper impacts with that information. Well, Joe, I couldn't agree with you more. Whenever you think about uh, how our students operate today, sometimes our measurements of, you know, whether it be chronic absenteeism and all those pieces, how we address those uh, many times is, is done through people who have a thought mindset that's still 20 years ago. And I think addressing, you have the data point, but addressing the problem of the data point is a different experience. And you've got to have empathy involved in understanding what the interests of a student has, how to get them uh, engaged, involved, attending school. Uh, all of those pieces are different than a student 20 years ago. And I think for all of our educators, they need to I really believe we need to do some deep diving in to uh, how to uh, really change the way that we think about addressing the data point. Now, see, in, in whether you take commercial sector, et cetera, or, or even when you're with the K-12, you mentioned that we need to know what we are trying to measure. We've seen many other places where data people start with a big fanfare, you know, big kickoff to say, okay, we're going to start using data. They start collecting it for wherever, and then they try to call it a data lake and becomes a data swamp. And then we talk about downstream analytics. They will say, I want to get all possible ways to slice and dice the data and get as many insights as possible, only to find that either those insights were either ineffective in them helping make a, a, a decision what is required at the time, or uh, they try to put some gross assumptions as alongside the data to come up with an with, with a decision which doesn't really help the business. So, you know, it's not about just churning data. It's not just about getting the data from the right sources or multiple sources, bring them into one place. It is actually at the end of the day, why on earth are you uh, doing the starting with why, right? Simon Sinek book. So what is the why of K-12 education, which should drive what you do and how you do? Rob? Yeah, I think when I look at our why um, very much, what we used to think about as just college and career readiness is different today than, than it was. Because I, I will say this, we, we address the whole child today and there's more and more supports around social, emotional and those pieces because we're not seeing results from old 
practices that we saw, particularly in academia. And so when I think of our why, our why has expanded toward building the whole self of a person that contribute, contributes to a society and to a community. And so that data point now expands, right? I start to think of behavioral pieces, not only negative behavioral, but positive behavioral and how we might introduce and respond uh, from a grass level roots inside of a classroom, but also from a leadership capacity and providing a shift and a change in uh, how we uh, interact with staff and address students. And so I think that why it's still a similar why in its very general terms of providing a product for a community and college and career readiness. Uh, but I think it's also a much larger picture in which I would, I would always go back to, I think, graduation rates and all those pieces are, are great pieces of data to show uh, how our system is doing. But I would also say that a district needs to engage with its community and start to build what's our economic impact of a K-12 institution on its local community. And by doing so, you start to think of that broader picture of the why. So if I, if I as a student, I go and I, I go to post-secondary, that has an economic impact to my local community. If I work in my local community, that has an economic impact to my local community. And so defining some of those additional measurements of that expanded why are important. Yes, I, I would agree with Rob for sure. Um, and one thing that I would, I would really add about that shifting why is over the last decade or so, in my experience, we've really had to shift from this almost laser-like focus on after effects. So we do all this work and then it pays off if our kids get into college or join the military or whatever happens after um, they're educated and prepared by us. Um, I, I'm seeing a big shift in how we're measuring the current experience of our students, um, not just, you know, were they successful, but how are they enjoying or getting through their current experience? Uh, are we getting them into those areas of interest that they're going to be successful in? Uh, to Rob's point about the wraparound services and supports, are we getting every student what each student needs to be successful? Uh, previously, we would see large cohorts of students moving through and we would see um, I'll talk about principals, uh, especially high school principals. Uh, they use data a lot. Um, and if you are high school and you have a 98% graduation rate, that's a great number. But that also means there's 2% of your students that are falling through somewhere. Um, and we're spending a lot more time not just looking at the aggregate or the successful quantitative measure, but what's happening on the qualitative level? What's really happening with those 2%? Also, with those 98%, um, was graduation really the goal? Were we really setting them up for success if our entire focus was just to get them across the stage? And so our why is it's really shifting. Kids are really bad at delaying gratification. Um, and the educational experience itself um, has become a much bigger part of our why in recent history. 
Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, when we are back, let's talk about this why a little further and see what's the alignment between the technology and the data and analytics leaders versus the the business side or the government side, which is driving this K-12 education. Because without that alignment, the actual execution or adoption of data analytics in terms of improving the outcome for K-12 education, we will see a lot of friction that would naturally get created and that will prevent the best possible, uh, I'll use the word outcome again, for what we are expecting from K-12 education. So where are we? Are we seeing eye to eye with our business counterparts? Please stay tuned, we'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Joe, the why of your principles, your, you know, the government's, uh, government officials, is that aligning with what you are seeing in your uh, IT and data and, and and people who are all charged up about it? So I think it is, but there's an important fact, I think, for CIOs like Rob and myself um, <clears throat> to understand, and that is a lot of that onus is on us as the CIO or CTO of our organization. So um a while ago, I I went on kind of a tour of presentations um, that I called from the basement to the boardroom. And it was really about how as CIOs, we have to get out of the basement and get out of this transactional uh, mindset of what we provide to the organization. So what I do is I, I partner with and work directly with my, my fellow leaders, my strategic business partners across the district to make sure that our whys are aligning. Um, that I'm not bringing in tech for the sake of bringing in tech. I'm not bringing in data analytics or data intelligence um, for the sake of doing it. We're working together to solve problems of practice um, throughout education. And it's my role and my job to understand what it is that each of my partners is trying to figure out and solve to, to align with our overall mission, vision, and strategic plan. And then how we build our technology plan and our, we call it data intelligence here, um, around that. So we can help our partners measure what it is they need to measure. And we don't just come up with the dashboards. We really get into the research design, the methodology of what the outcomes are that we're seeking and how we want to then apply solutions and measure those solutions as well. So the role of what uh, my, the person in my chair does in K-12, I would say has drastically shifted um, to make that happen. I, I would say it's not everywhere. 
Um, it's, it's slowly moving and transitioning across the country and across the world from what I'm seeing. But when you get folks in the chair that really understand that that's what the role is, you can really start to see impact uh, starting to happen and the, the needle starting to move. I'd like to add to that. I think uh, I'm really fortunate to also be an instructional leader in our district. So I oversee our virtual school as well. And I think for those CIOs that haven't had a part in the instructional leadership process, um, really should start to lean toward that way so that they understand the changes happening instructionally and take part in the innovation that needs to happen instructionally. If, if any time in education history, now is a great time to do that because I think a lot of our processes that we think about instructionally have now, we're starting to question after the pandemic and doing remote learning and starting to adjust what classroom spaces, schedules, all those pieces look like now uh, in a possible hybrid environment. So it's a great time for that transition to happen. And I think um, that CIO or that technology leader needs to be in that process. So Joe, uh, the way I see data analytics projects is most, it's, it's, it's actually not a tech project. It's a change management initiative because right from making everybody feel that what they are producing or generating data and how they are uh, being custodian of that data to how we all together look at what insights we want to garner. And once we do, then we action them to get the value. All of that requires quite a few places where we have to shift things. And fundamentally, because that's not how people ran K-12 and or many other organizations. So wherever you go, data analytics products are invariably change management initiatives. So if you're going to embark on such a journey, it cannot be just, okay, I'll do a POC and then I'll roll it out because they're trying to shift people's mindset as well. So if you say, I want to do this, what kind of readiness check you would do? What kind of diagnostics you would do on your organization to see if you're even ready before you spend money because it's tax dollars? And what kind of foundational preparation or foundation building would you do before you even say, yes, we are gung-ho with it and we'll go full steam? Sure. Great question. So uh, for me, a couple of things that I have to check on before I start any uh, OCM projects like this. And I, I agree that when we talk about data analytics, it is organizational change management that we're really impacting. We're seeing some sort of uh, solution that we're seeking, some problem that we're solving, some process we're improving and using the data analytics along the way to um, identify the problem, identify solutions, apply the solutions to the problem and see if they're effective. So with that first, we need to make sure that um, folks understand that process that I just said um, and that they're data literate. So understanding what you're looking at and what you're measuring is vitally important uh, and just like when you're doing OCM, you need to make sure that everybody can agree on what the word done or complete means. Um, you have to make sure that everybody's on board with what you're measuring, that you're measuring, um, and what the data means uh, when you're interpreting or analyzing that data as well. So that that's kind of where I start is making sure, you know, we have a vision, we have a mission, um, and we're aligning 
with our strategic business partners on, we're about to embark on this change together and everybody's agreeing on what that means and what that is. Um, as we go through um, getting a business case together, I use an acronym that I call PTAC. So that's um, planning or solving problem of practice, implementation, training, adoption, and continuous improvement. And I lay out that model before we get started so that we understand where in each of those phases we are as we go along. And um, as we go from that planning phase to the implementation phase or that execution phase, that everybody's agreeing that we're hitting this next phase together. And then as we get to training, which can be a train the trainer model, um, depending on what we're doing, and then getting into adoption. Adoption is very important because it means that we're going to go and measure the problem we thought we were solving, the solution we were applying, uh, making sure that we're imp we've implemented the way we thought. If we're applying data to a problem or analytics to a problem, the measures are working. We're seeing what we thought we were going to see. People are adopting it, putting in the correct data so we can measure the correct data. Um, and if we need to make any adoption changes, we can do that. Uh, and then that continuous improvement is vitally important because that's what feeds back into change management. So um, the data that we glean out, we need to do something with that data and not just get data for the sake of data. So um, for me, I, I do all the stuff to make sure that we're ready to go. But then I also make sure that as I'm building the business case and we start to move through it, um, everybody's on board with which part of the phase we're in. So, uh, Rob, I'm assuming you may have started or maybe have done some of that foundation building and, and I'm sure started with all the excitement and the best practices framework of sorts, like a stencil. Absolutely. Um, and, and when you did that, my question is, of course, I'd love for you to share your comments on what you feel is your version of best practice. But when you did, was that, uh, you know, uh, walk in the park or... Was that exactly as you expected people will behave and you bring them to them an, an ideal solution or expecting them to behave in a certain way as you lay out the layer rules of the land when you're kind trying to say, okay, I'm going to kick off this data analytics and this is how you're going to all behave or support. What was the reality versus what your expectation was? That was my question, but please feel free to share what you were thinking, what your best practices are and what happened in reality when you tried to execute it. Sure. So my tenure here in Wichita Public Schools started in August of 2019. So you can imagine uh, March 2020 uh, had not yet been in the district a year. So whenever we started talking about data analytics, very much of what I was trying to do at the time was move the district from on-premise solutions to cloud-based solutions. And through that process, we shifted our analytics from an on-premise solution to a cloud-based solution. And in the conversations with staff, um, we met in a lot of different, every, every principal cohort and every data leader cohort to ask the questions of uh, what and where do you need data pieces to help you on the day-to-day? Because -day? I think um, some of what initially, whenever we did some assessment of where we were at, folks just grabbed stuff uh, at will when they needed it. And instead of going to go get the data, we now wanted to deliver this 
and some type of dashboard. And I think where we've come from now is we're so data dashboard, it, it's almost like an ocean, right? And I think um, we're starting to get to where staff personalize the data points that are needed for their day-to-day because it's understanding and having the constant conversation, kind of like what Joe talked about of data literacy and understanding the data points that help you on a basis in your role. Because even looking at the differences between our elementary schools and their sizes and their populations and what their focus is, whether that be a magnet theme or not, or what the learning looks like, those pieces are now, they're not unified in many ways. And so when I think about the the steps that we had to go through, it was really meeting with everyone and getting a point of view and understanding having a flexible environment for analytics that people could both build and we could build for them. So when, when, so, so Joe, coming back to you, when you uh, started this journey to some extent, I'm not sure where you are with it. What is the knee jerk reaction of the people who you're trying to see this adopted by and how are you addressing any of those not adoption challenge yet? Cause you've not even put it in place, but there is a passive or an active resistance. Sure. Well, yeah. So I would say, you know, on on some cases we see the passive or active resistance and then you have the other side of it where people are overly eager um, before you're ready to go prime time on things. So um, there's always resistance uh, whenever you're doing change um, for various reasons. But uh, generally, the way that I like to shape um, the change that we're making is to do one of two things. We're either um, making something easier to use or more useful. Um, and when I can craft the messaging um, with my peers around, you know, what we're trying to do to help them, it's usually, hey, we can make this easier for you or we can make this more useful for you. When you're not shaping it in those ways, you're going to hit a lot of resistance. Um, it can be technology anxiety. It can be um, low technology self-efficacy, um, where people don't see the value of what you're trying to bring. And if they don't see the value, especially in K-12, where resources are lacking, uh, people are you know working extremely hard, burning out. And if you're trying to add one more thing to them, um, a, a very common saying in K-12 is you're, you're adding this, what are you taking away from my plate? Um, and so I always try to craft it in that way of, you know, I'm not adding something to your plate. I'm helping you with what's already on your plate. <clears throat> when I do that, um, it, it can be a lot more helpful. A great example is um, post-pandemic, just getting our kids back in the classroom has been a, a large job across different K-12s. Uh, and a lot of it lands right on the principals and that front office staff. Uh, and it has been a very manual process. Um, and so one of the projects that we're working on here at Broward County Schools is being able to automate that as much as possible and to be able to, to apply data analytics to it. So not just measuring um, where our kids are missing, um, but trying to find out where they have gone, whether they're still in our district or if they've moved somewhere else, but also measuring and seeing the analytics of the different 
approaches that we're applying to the problem. So are we going out and knocking on doors? Are we pulling data down from the state? Are we look, you know, calling tens of thousands of families and trying to get students back? And which of those is working? Is there a way? And then if we find, you know, phone calls are working great. Okay. Do we have a way that we can automate that? And then can we use analytics to measure how well that works now? So what I found is when we're applying it to a problem that they have, they're a lot more open and um, there's a lot less resistance than if I were to just come and say, we're going to start using data analytics across the board and start coming up with IT driven initiatives of how we're going to use analytics. So when we are getting this going, uh, your own people, right? While we say you're, what are you taking away? So when you take it to a business user, you might be saying things, okay, you can run report, et cetera. But then how do you get your own team to not resist saying that you already have a more than spelling plate? Because I've yet to see an IT team which, does, which has some breathing room, right? How do you get them to get charged up to support this? Because this will require, uh, I would say, almost a brand new muscle you have to create to pull this off. And maybe you'll have to hire people or retrain or retool people. But regardless, it will add work for them. And in many cases, it is just not the tech work, but you know, at different stages, different challenges will come up and users will come and, 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 and ask you questions or will they need the support and that will eat into the already uh, precious time that they have available as a resource. So how did you manage that part? And perhaps, Rob, you want to start with that. I'm sure you've been doing this. So you may be facing this already. Yeah, so I would say both in my uh, experience in Omaha Public Schools, which is where I was at previously, as well as Wichita Public Schools, the answer to that question is yes, yes, and yes. Uh, I had to bring outside folks that um, we contracted in to help develop a different pane of glass for my folks and how they thought about the delivery of data uh, and where it needs to be, as well as hiring new folks that have a different skill set to assist uh, an existing staff that uh, supported a whole solution, which had a whole different mindset of where data resided, the frequency of pulling it, how it was needed. Because in both instances, they weren't customer focused. And so when I, when you shift that, there's just a lot of conversations that need to happen. And those folks understanding haven't been historically in the conversation on the focus panels of understanding the data needs very much. So uh, in both of those instances, it was helping them be a part of our conversations and interviews with our customers, our principals, our data leaders, our teachers, in understanding what their needs were so that they understood that why. Because it kind of goes back to that, right? That if many of these data folks, they're in a room, they might not be in a classroom ever, you know, in, the, in their tenure and understanding what the needs are, are solely based upon what requirements might have been given to them on a paper or email. And having them, giving them those experiences along with professional development that's ongoing to help them be successful in this transition 
those are all key pieces and have been assisting me in our digital transformation journey in both of those places. Yeah, and I would agree with Rob. Um, when we did this work at Kansas City Public Schools before um, I came here, we we found the same thing. So our folks that traditionally did our data work were primarily behind the scenes. They didn't interact very often with our user groups. Um, and for me at Kansas City, as well as here, uh, I've had to create a position. Here is our director of data intelligence um, position that we're filling. So if anybody listening is interested, that'll be posted soon. Uh, but also what I found that's really important is getting some business analysts uh, into the shop. So folks that are very talented at understanding the needs of our users and how to translate that back into the technology work that needs to happen. So sometimes you can get um, very fortunate where folks on your staff that have been doing the behind the scenes work are are eager, willing, and, and very able to do that analyst type of work. Uh, and then other times you you find that that's a different skill set that not necessarily your folks in-house already have. Um, and so for me, with that internal resistance, it's one, getting them to understand the why, like Rob said, but also getting them to understand the concept of data as a service that we are now providing. Um, and once I'm able to frame it into that data as a service type of mindset, then I'm, I'm able to get more buy-in from the staff as they start to kind of understand you know, um, this isn't just the data work you've done in the past. It's not how we're measuring our our uptime or how we're measuring our time to close our tickets or that type. So we're solving new problems as a service we're providing. So typically cost, risk, pain, inconvenience, overwork, burnout, all of these when added should be less than the benefit of data analytics. So while we cannot do much about the pain and the overwork and the burden, we could, but that's not quantifiable, but at least you can look at the business and security risks and other thing when you try to build any organization to become data-driven. So Joe, if you had to very quickly identify the data, the security and the business risks, which you have to manage so that it does not, uh, you know, destroy the very equation or the, the, the value of doing this data analytics driven uh, K-12 education, it does not, the pain and the cost and the risk does not outweigh the benefits. Sure, absolutely. I think, um, you know, to put it quickly, it's about the problem of practice that we're trying to solve. Um, if that problem that we're trying to solve is not bigger than the pain it will take to solve it, then you need, you need to try a reevaluation of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, burnout's real, especially in K-12. Um, nobody gets into K-12 for the money. So especially on the IT side of the house, our folks are constantly being um, wooed and recruited away uh, to, to places that can pay a lot more, um, where they can work remotely full-time um, and can you know, do work that's technical that they like um, without all the pain. Um, so for for me, kind of a philosophy I have is the pain has to have the purpose. Uh, if they believe in the purpose, they believe in the vision, they wake up every day excited to come in and do this work for education, then that can help kind of mitigate some of the pain there. Um, but generally, I'm not going to ask our folks to do and I'm not going to bring a, a problem into scope um, that is not going to have a big enough payoff to be worth the pain. 
if they believe that it's worth it, they're willing to kind of jump in there. Cost-wise, same exact thing. Um, we're low on resources in K-12. We have a lot that we have to cover with the funds. And if the ROI is not worth it, we need to put that resources, labor, outside consult, whatever it is, uh, we need to put that towards another problem to solve. So prioritization is huge uh, in this world that we live in. One last question, and of course, we'll start with uh, you, Rob. The leadership muscle, the communication and the collaboration styles, which are required to be either improved or fundamentally changed to make data analytics becoming the foundation of K-12 education, what would those be specifically? Um, I think at first it's understanding uh, why why we're here and and what shift is happening. Whenever I think about um, you know our communication from a leadership perspective in large districts is very difficult to, to really get across the ocean of people and resources that we manage, and so I think having a constant frequency and understanding the constant frequency of delivering communication across multiple mediums in a large district is something that you have to do today. Like not everyone listens to email or watches their email and, and even understands it. So I, I think making sure that you communicate broadly and deeply across mediums is important. I think collaborating listening to feedback and understanding the feedback loops that you create are important to understand uh, so that you understand your customer and the needs that you have uh, as a, as a educational leader, but also as an organizational change management person. And then I think from a leadership perspective, making sure that you can influence both up and down. And I say that from a change management perspective to be able to influence your superintendents, your deputy superintendents, your assistant superintendents, and even your CFOs and the rest of them to understand uh, the need to measure things differently uh, so that you can assist the change of the people that you're trying to support with this shift in digital transformation. And, and the needs of that. And so whenever I think of us improving in education, by cycling through your uh, feedback loops and understanding those, I think it's important to be a good storyteller as a CIO so that you can tell the story of the shift that's happening because that's the only position right now that I see that understands both the underworkings that we're doing in this data revolution and data management, but also understanding what's happening in the change in the classroom from an ed tech perspective and a classroom delivery model. And so th this role is so much of a conduit of change in K-12 education today. And once again, thank you so much, uh, Rob and Joe, for sharing your insights about how the K-12 education institutes can use data analytics to create 
uh, a fundamental shift in the way we imagine and or deliver K-12 education and actually you know, increase significantly the impact it produces. So thanks so much for your insights. Oh, thank you. And uh, listeners, please like us on social media, subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.